Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, June 12th, 2022. And as a body of believers, we've been striving to grow in a greater understanding of our divine call and our right to be sons of God. And we've been seeking the Lord for wisdom regarding five specific areas in our life. And we want to remind you this by showing it to you on a slide first thing off. These five traits of holy masculinity, of what God has been working into us as a church. See, all five facets, they're not isolated. We're not working on these things as independent components. In fact, they all grow simultaneously as we take dominion over what Adonai has entrusted to us. As a result, we get to grow up in our holy masculinity. We get to reflect the Father's glory. And our shalom, it flows downhill to all who are under our dominion. Guys, when a man decides to put his foot down, say, I am going to take dominion. No, I am going to accept and live under the dominion that God has already entrusted me with. He has a decision to make. He must decide whether he is going to continue to live in a rebellious reality defined by the serpent's attack on God's order. Or, or if as a, as a man, he is going to live in the dominion of Christ. He is going to re-engage with his God-given dominion as a leader on earth. One who is responsible for everything that happens under his yeah. sphere of influence. You know, when a man engages with his God-given commission, his cultivation of that dominion entrusted to him, it always follows. Dominion, what follows that is always cultivation. A man's dominion is without question, and it's not up for debate. It is a biblical fact, a God-ordained fact. So So is the man's responsibility to cultivate that which is in his dominion. This is a glorious process that takes hard work. You know, many like to talk about hard work. Many like to talk about being dominators and cultivators. But we are those who are actually putting in the blood, the sweat, and the tears to reflect Adonai's glory. Can I share a precious scripture with you? This is Proverbs 14.23. And it says... All hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. It's not that just talking about something leaves things ineffective. It makes you regress and leads you into poverty, which is why we are about doing the hard work of dominating and cultivating because we want to give a return for the Lord's glory. Church, when you've been given something precious from your father, And that gift is, in fact, your life's work. You are inclined. You are motivated. You are ready to protect it at the cost of your own life. You're compelled to guard it from harmful influences. You are motivated to seek the welfare of every single person that is under your care. And you're going to do that every single day because that's what God is developing in us. Yeah. Let's go, church. You guys better get yourself ready this morning. There is a downhill avalanche of shalom coming the way of every single person in this room. You better buckle up. Guys, in every season, we're learning more and more about the Father who has given us dominion. We're growing in our knowledge and wisdom of how to cultivate this dominion to reflect the glory that is rolling downhill to us from Adonai. 
Guys, this is exactly, precisely how, over time, sages are developed through seasons. So we want to illustrate this from a passage that we reflected on in this series and illuminate these facets when dominion is taken, flow downhill to the families, the church, and generations coming after us. Listen to Deuteronomy 8, picking up in verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Here, Moses is displaying the lordship of heaven, the true source of all dominion, ownership, and responsibility. All other trades and practices flow from this step. So let's review. What do all things flow from? Dominion. Moses is truly a bam, a biblically adherent male. It's because Moses is rightly walking in dominion, and he's fully grasping, practicing, and residing in his lordship over the children of Israel. Our God is the king of what? And he is the Lord of? Lord! Church, you must first practice dominion, ownership over what God has entrusted you. Every other thing that you do must hinge on this. Church, as you are becoming familiar with these things, it's amazing that when God starts speaking and revealing a truth to you, don't you start seeing it everywhere throughout the scripture? You start realizing that it was prevalent everywhere. That's actually part of the way that you know that you found a revelation that is from the heavens. You start seeing it everywhere that you're reading. This is what happened to us in Deuteronomy 8. We realized that in the first five verses, it is actually walking through the exact steps that we've been covering with you. Verse 1 covered dominion. We saw that. Look at what verse 2 in Deuteronomy 8 says. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way, how he cultivated you, how he shepherded you in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would actually keep his commands. See, once you are walking from verse 1, once you're walking in a heavenly ordained dominion, not one that you'd prescribe for yourself, but one that comes down from the Father of Lights himself, the process of true cultivation can then begin. The Lord led his people out into the desert. He was working, tending, caring for them, and shepherding them in every aspect of their lives. This is true cultivation. And do you see how it's said here? His cultivation process included some pretty shocking methods to humble and to test them. That was part of their development, and it actually started with causing them to go into slavery in the first place. He let them be oppressed. He let their adversary pursue them. He had them with their backs up against the wall at the Red Sea. Our great God was cultivating his people by testing them and putting them into difficult situations. He then proceeded to bring them into a desert after this time and developed them further. He maximized their current state until they reached their full potential. Somebody say full potential. Full potential. Once you start with dominion and begin cultivation, that is the point of this process is that there is full potential reached in the heart of each and every one that you have been assigned. Both the humbling and the testing are part of God's cultivation and they're becoming a part of how you and I cultivate in our own dominion. Isn't that right, LCM? As I have learned a tremendous amount from this passage here in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 about cultivation of what God has given me dominion over. See, cultivation oftentimes is very one-sided. 
We just want to be the nice guy. We just, we just want to be the guy that is able to speak into somebody, and at the end of the conversation, you know, both of us feel good about what happened. That's not how God cultivated his people for 40 years in the desert. You see, he was multifaceted. He, he was a, a God who knew how to take them through the desert, allow them to experience adversaries themselves, back them up in situations just like the Red Sea, but also cultivate them through the process, through the difficulty. Look at verse 3, and let's move on to our next one. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. It's amazing how these concepts build on one another as you move which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Guys, God had the wisdom to put them in this humble state, a state where their own sinful, serpent-like nature would be crushed. The nature that resided in each one of them, the state that God put them in was for a purpose. He caused them to hunger so that he himself could rescue them with supernatural provision and his real holistic salvation in their lives. God has never saved those in his dominion from development, from danger, yes, but not from their development. Yeah. He has never saved those he is cultivating from hardship in their lives. He knows that that is there for a purpose and it is necessary in their lives and in each one of ours. He is a true savior. We're learning from his ability to save his people from evil and from mortal injury. Both enemies from within and enemies from without. This process, perfect saving, it's teaching us that we must live on every word that comes from the yeah. mouth of our God. We need every single word that is coming from his mouth. We cannot pick and choose. Those words, every one, bring about the supernatural salvation that we need in every situation that is ahead of us. Amen. Yeah. You know, that was such a profound revelation to me that how can I be a savior? Being a savior is not saving them from development. Sometimes the hardships are there to develop us and our families. And there's a little bit of blank stares as we're looking out here. This is life to us. And I'm reflecting on everything from Deuteronomy 8, if you haven't noticed. Verse 1, dominion. Verse 2, cultivation. Verse 3, saviors. And now we're going to go to verse 4. Only a God who is magnificent and intricate and complex could show us a direction and then show us in his word and everything line up perfectly. We're not having to work too hard to see this. We just have to read his word. But let's pick up in verse 4. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your hearts that a man, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. It was through 40 years... Through seasons, season after season of trial and error that God's people were able to know. This is the process of becoming a sage. You've learned that sages are special because they have been through many seasons of trial and error to arrive at discernment that is not easily obtained. Go shake and hug and love 
the older pastors and the elders in this church because they've gone through things that we've only talked about. They've actually done the hard work, and I thank you, men, for that. So sages are special and have been made through the process of meditating on the book of the law day and night and have been careful to do according to all that is written, like Joshua 1.8. They have both went through the seasons of difficulty. They have both wrestled with the word, come out with a revelation, and they share it with us for free so that we might go further. And in that, we have an obligation to do the same. Come on, isn't that incredible? Don't you love that sages are special because they've trained their powers of discernment through constant use to know what is right and wrong. Look, you know those 40 years that Israel spent in the desert? Those years felt like anything but a downhill journey for them. I mean, it was full of wilderness and desert lands with no food, with no water in sight, having to trust God and his presence each and every day to know where to go and what to do. It was full of enemies. It was full of opposition of the unknown. This was a tough journey. Somebody say tough journey. Tough journey. But the God of Israel was with his people every step of the way to feed them, to empower them, and form them into a people that would be useful to him. You know, Pastor Wade, you said the word downhill just a second ago. And that that word, it it kind of appeals to me in a, a certain way. It stood out to me in a special way. You know, when you were saying downhill earlier, I immediately got this crazy visual of a huge landslide. You know, you, you've seen that before where there's a, giga- there's a disturbance. There's a gigantic landslide, and rocks are literally falling all over the place. They're crushing cars, crushing people under their wake. That's a powerful kind of thing. That was just the immediate visual that I got when you said downhill, a bunch of rocks falling downhill. Yeah. I don't think rocks are all that roll downhill. Do you? There's, there's this uh, stuff that rolls downhill that you stack high in transit, and uh, uh, I can't think of it, but that also rolls downhill. Do you guys know that cheese also rolls downhill? What? Oh, yeah. What in the world? There's actually an annual event held in the UK where the participants run down a very steep 200-yard-long hill after a rolling double, it's a double roll of Gloucester cheese. It's a wheel of cheese that is going down, and you will watch the people tumbling their way down as well. Most of the time, the people end up uh, in hospitals. There's ambulances standing by, and yet this is a huge event. The cheese rolling in Gloucester, UK. I don't know exactly why, but uh, there's something about things that are rolling downhill. Oh, okay, guys. This is going to sound so weird, but I just I got to be transparent with you. As my brothers were speaking, you know, at first I was thinking of rocks, but, you know, I think that there's something else that also rolls downhill. That I, yeah. I, I also believe that babies roll downhill. What? I, I really do. No, I, I'm serious. Guys, I'm serious. Yes, I believe that babies roll downhill. You know, as a matter of fact, I think we might have a video displaying what I'm talking about. You guys want to see that? Yeah. Come on. how Nick trains his sons to be men.
so cute. So cute. Bye-bye. <laughs> I told you, I told you that babies roll downhill. And that's actually how we're training Ezra and Elisha and the other men that are growing up in the kibbutz to be real men. Be a man. We would like to say that no babies were harmed in the production and the putting together of this word. So while those things may roll downhill, that's not what we want to talk to you about this morning. Today we will be preaching to you about glory bearers. And the title of our message is Glory Rolls Downhill. Come on, say that with us. Glory Rolls Downhill. See, we want to start off by plainly stating to you that you were made to be glory bearers. The very beginning of the saga of all of mankind starts with man being made in the image and the likeness of God himself. This intentional design of being a glory bearer is pashatly stated in Isaiah 43, 7. It says this, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and whom I made. See, Israel was created, formed, and made to be glory bearers. And the great mystery that's been revealed was that you and I as Gentiles get to be included in this divine purpose of being a glory bearer. Psalm 8 actually says it this way. Psalm 8 speaks of his glory being above the heavens. Not just in the heavens, but above the heavens. And what he's done is he has crowned mankind. You know the ones that he made are just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings? He crowned mankind with glory, with honor, and gave man dominion over the rest of creation to prove that he was designed to be a glory bearer. This process starts with dominion and has the specific purpose, the goal of each of us becoming glory bearers in every area of our lives. That's right, Pastor. It starts with dominion because we don't start out by being fully mature glory bearers. That was always the purpose of what God created Israel and us to be. But we don't start there. But through the process that begins with dominion, God has given us the revelation as well as the tools that we need to be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. In fact, we're about to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 with you. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's right, we started our worship set this morning with that exact phrase, that declaration into the heavens. Look at what it goes on to say. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Guys, the cool thing is, is that this passage is referring all the way back to Moses. He was up, actually up on a mountain with God, and he rolled downhill to Israel to display the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Our faces become unveiled as we eliminate all the fake dominion, all the false cultivation, all the pseudo-salvation that resides in each one of our lives, as well as the shallow, surface-level sageship. This is how we reflect the actual glory of the Lord, and this must happen many, many times in our lives. It's through the ongoing process of transformation 
that we become exactly who our Father is. And that is what the result of this process is going to be. The transformation process allows His glory, His image, His likeness to be seen in us in an ever-increasing manner. I want you to raise your hands if you've been experiencing an ever-increasing glory as you're walking through this process. Oh my goodness, the last couple weeks have truly been a transformation process in the Arajina household, in the kibbutz, in your pastors. All of this starts at the top. It comes from God. And it flows downhill through the reality of shalom. The entire cycle is empowered by the Spirit, and we find it in the freedom that His Spirit brings to us. So everything starts at the top, comes from the Lord, and flows downhill. With that understanding, let's really begin to take a look at the factors in our own lives that act to muddy the waters and pollute this heavenly fountain. We need to talk to you about bogus glory bearers. Say bogus. Bogus. And how could we talk about bogus glory bearers without talking about mystery Babylon? Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. The ultimate bogus glory bearer. The ultimate bogus glory bearer. The one who personifies worldly glory. The epitome of vain conceit. With that in mind, turn with us to her judgment in Revelation 18. Come on, go ahead and turn in your Bibles with this to Revelation 18, and you're going to see a picture of the ultimate version of a bogus glory bearer. Revelation 18, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7. It says this, Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. Wow. In her heart, she boasts. And these are the three things that she says within her heart. I sit as queen. I am not a widow. And I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. I mean, it is an absolutely terrifying thought to contemplate that mystery Babylon will receive as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury that she fought to have for herself. In direct proportion to the glory and luxury that she was desiring is the penalty, is the torture, it is the grief. Those things are in direct proportion to each each other. See, we want to hone in and focus on three things that she says in that rebellious heart of hers. Guys, you're going to want to hone in right now. We're going to look at the first phrase that she said in her rebellious heart. I sit as queen. Bogus glory bearers, they delight in their own self-exaltation. While great men of old have coined soul-stirring phrases like, my humiliation is my exaltation, and my exaltation is my humiliation. Bogus glory bearers delight in their own self-exaltation. They have rebellious hearts that cannot bear to operate within God's shalom that he set up. No, no, no. Instead, they're continually looking for ways to squirm out of his right order. Man, I just can't stand it anymore. I got to get out of this. And usurp the God-ordained authority in their lives. So let's look at the second one. I am not a widow. Bogus glory bearers hate dependency on others. 
They can't bear the thought of having to depend on anyone else for encouragement, correction, discipleship, or wisdom. The thought of having to submit their lives and futures to anyone else or the life and future of their husband and family is heinous and utterly appalling to them. No, the mindset of bogus glory bearers is, I'll get the job done myself and receive the glory from their independence while they do it. What about the last proclamation that you're seeing on the screen? I will never mourn. Church, bogus glory bearers refuse to go through the pain. They refuse to go through the toil, the trial, the sufferings that are necessary for any man or woman of God in order to arrive at the glory that God has destined for them. A a bogus glory bearer, otherwise known as a bogey apparently, a bogus glory bearer chooses the broad path and glories in the easy way of doing things. Many times not even realizing that they're trading in the glory that could be theirs for temporary ease and comfort. For these, the judgment of God will absolutely and surely come. Guys, we know that this is hitting home with you this morning because, well, it hit home with us yesterday as we were studying this. Like all good things that you find in the Word, though, it's not just present here in Revelation chapter 18. No, we we actually found an incredible passage in Proverbs chapter 25 that deals exactly with this bogus glory bearing in our own lives. Turn with us to Proverbs 25 together. We're going to go through verses 26, 27, and 28, and we're going to show you the exact same progression in Proverbs 25 that you saw in Revelation 18. Proverbs 25, 26. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Egalitarianism is the act of affirming, promoting, or believing in equal rights of all kinds for all people. Simply put, egalitarians say, screw this to God's ordained position of shalom, and they work to please themselves rather than the creator who made them. Men and women all around us have traded in the standard and glory of God by giving way, yielding to, compromising with, or falling down before the wicked, also that they can experience their own self-exaltation in the eyes of others. Just like Mystery Babylon in Revelation 18, they have rebellious hearts that cannot bear to operate within God's shalom. They're continually looking for ways to squirm out of his right order, usurp the God-ordained authority in their lives so that they can experience personal exaltation without having to look to the Lord to reflect his glory in those situations. Can we give you a few practical examples about this so that we can make sure that we're seeing it in our lives? It's easy to see it in the world around us. It's easy to see this egalitarian process where everyone is trying to equalize, that there's not a hierarchy. Let's flatten this thing out, really, so that we can all promote our own glory. Husbands, when you obey your wife's decisions as your own, that's highlighting a kind of a big truck and an itty-bitty, tiny dominion kind of mentality in your life. Tiny dominion. Instead of embracing God's ordained position of shalom and stepping into your God-ordained role of authority in your home, directing your family after you, to keep the way of the Lord like your father Abraham did for his family in Genesis 18. 
But it's not just the men. It's not just the husbands. Ladies, let us help you to see what this picture looks like in your life. Ladies, this is when you're telling your husband when he comes home with a unity-based decision. I didn't marry your brothers. I didn't marry your peers. I married you, honey. I get to manipulate you, and when you listen to them, it's harder for me to manipulate you. This is actually, and, and ask us how many times that we've heard this as pastors. Ask us how many times we've even heard this in our own homes from our own wives. That's how we can be so accurate on this is because we know exactly what this sounds like. But this is a process of trying to usurp the authority that God has. This is a bogus glory bearer inside of your own heart. You're actually working to please yourself rather than your Lord and teacher, namely your husband. Y'all with us today? Let's move on to verse 27 before we get ourselves in trouble, pastors. No, this is, we're going to get this today. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Guys, there is actually an astounding distance between what the world finds glorious and what Adonai finds glorious. What the world finds delectable, the Bible finds detestable. What society has deemed satisfactory, God himself calls satanic. And when one seeks his own glory, the Lord is not entertained by your efforts. We have a passage from John 7, 18, about how our king commented on that particular way of life. Yeah, let's keep moving forward. John 7, picking up in verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority, authority seeks his own glory. Does it get any more clear than that? The one who speaks on his own authority, he seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Bogus glory bearers speak on their own authority. They openly share their opinions and counsel without consulting the Lord, the Word, or the pastors. That's because bogus glory bearers can't handle the thought of having to depend on anyone else for counsel, correction, direction, or wisdom. The thought of having to learn or be discipled by someone other than themselves is heinous and utterly appalling to them, though they would never Admit that. Let me help you get a picture of what this looks like before Pastor Peyton continues. You know, I mean, you know exactly what we're talking about. You guys are a little bit quiet today, but I think it's because some of these things you haven't really thought about deeply, and you're having to listen carefully to what we say, and that's a good, good thing. This idea of bogus glory bearers speaking on their own authority. This is when you act on your own volition. You act out of your own authority. Your own decision-making process was the highest on the wrong, and that is what everything is being initiated from. This process produces a falsehood. This process produces and displays a duplicitous nature in you because you aren't deriving your glory by seeking what God desires. Heck, you're not even seeking the best of the people around you. You are actually working only for what you want. You want what you want, and you're going to lie. You're going to misrepresent the truth. You're going to twist the truth. 
you're going to omit inconvenient information to make sure that the outcome is what you want it to be. We're going to sit on this just for a second before pa Pastor Peyton picks it back up. This idea of you working in your own authority, speaking in your own authority, the end result is always falsehood. Because when you do this right, there is no falsehood. You're seeking. You'll, you'll, you'll leave out information that would clearly could influence the person in a better decision, but you're holding back that information because ultimately you just want what you want. You're seeking your own glory. You're not only bold-faced lying, but you're twisting things. It's all deception, folks. It's all falsehood, and this is the inevitable outcome of someone who is speaking in their own authority and seeking their own glory. Yeah. Even consider putting this word together. When we talk about glory bearers, the first thing that went to my mind is the most epic praise and amazing time. But the Lord humbled us as we were studying. We were like, we, we have to reflect you, Lord. Help us. Help us get this right. This is because we're not speaking on our own authority. We have to speak on God's authority who's given us the authority to share this with you. Church, we must be soberly aware of areas that we have proven to repeatedly operate in our own authority. And we need to repent before the one who knows how to cultivate us so that we can accurately reflect his glory. If not, we are no more useful than a fortress that doesn't have any walls. Come on now, look at verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The manifestation of this same bogus Babylon type of glory bearing is seen in this man who lacks self-control. Now this kind of lacking in self-control or self-discipline is more than just childish outbursts. It's more than just throwing yourself on the floor and having a temper tantrum because what it looks like more in this house, in this church, in this body is that it's the lack of ability to complete the tasks that God has clearly assigned to you. That is a lack of self-control. That is a lack of self-discipline. You start something on day one, by about day four, you've already modified it or you've completely given up on the topic altogether. There is no security or protection or defense that this person can offer because they've abandoned the glory of God and exchanged it for a glory of their own making. The moment that something gets difficult, the moment that suffering enters in, let me put it in a very silly but practical way. I am trying to lose weight. I am having some success, but you know why I'm having difficulty? I figured this out this week. I don't like to feel hungry. That is a real part of this. I get to a point of hunger, and then my self-control, my self-discipline begins to get in question. I, maybe, maybe just this one time I'll cheat and eat outside of the time that I've already determined. But I'll just do it this one time until the next time is really what I mean. I have a lack of self-discipline. I have let my self-control go away because I'm seeking my own glory. And the moment that it got difficult, it all crumbles around me. You know, Pastor, 
it's actually, it could be worse than just renegotiating. You know, since we're already getting ourselves in trouble today for the sake of righteousness, yeah, why don't we just get ourselves in trouble just a little bit more for yeah, God's name? The thing is, is that we're not the ones in trouble. We're trying to save you from the trouble that you're already in, and we're helping you today. Yeah. No, this can be even worse than renegotiating church. This also looks like simply abandoning outright any forward movement at all. Abandoning any progress for what God has told you to do. Just blame the whole thing on him. Yeah, no, God himself drew me into a, set, a different direction. No, there's something. I'm doing a new thing, God. Yeah, he's doing a new thing. Look, he's directing us totally different way. That type of bogus behavior actually takes glory in finding the easy way or the broad path. You are trying to grab at God's glory. You are trying to put his glory upon you, yourself, and say, that's too hard. I'm renegotiating. I'm going in a totally different way, and I'm going to say, God did it. As this type of behavior, trading in the glory that could be yours for temporary ease and comfort, come on. This is seen when things get hard, when things get boring, when things get easy. And you just quote the scripture and declare that God is doing something different. This is a bogus glory bearer mentality. Amen. You're never going to bear the glory of the Lord with this kind of lack of self-control. Instead, you should redouble down on the efforts and the ability that God has given you toward what he already showed you. And never, ever, ever move from it until it is completed. Come on. I've spent a minute or two reflecting on Proverbs 25, 28. Any lengthy or even short conversation with me, I want to help paint a picture for why we need this kind of self-control and we don't seek glory for ourselves. Selective wording in our transparency with our brothers or recounting of events, it is a lack of self-control because you think you can circle back to the details and be transparent at a later date. So let me paint this picture for you. The scripture says that a man who lacks in self-control is like a fortress without walls, like a city without walls. This is how this works in, in pastoring. You lack transparency. You lack bringing things to the surface so that it can be dealt with. And they just hang out in the background. And then one day, your ranks are absolutely demolished. And we sit down and you say... I have all these enemies in my camp. I have all these things that I'm struggling with and something rises up in us and we say, we are going to fight against them. You enemy, get back. And the enemy turns and it's like, dude, we've been here just as long as him. We were never asked to leave. What's the issue? This is why we need to make sure that we are looking towards the glory of the Father, and whatever the cost is, we are willing and volunteering to have those wicked things brought up to the surface. Full transparency. Yes, it hurts, but it is so that we can accurately reflect His glory, and we can remove all the things in our lives that are waiting in the shadows for an opportune time to take us captive. This is how men lead their families. This is how men lead other, other men and lead uh, the church and lead the world. Now that we've given you some clear examples of bogus glory bearers, 
We want to make sure that you can't miss the solution to all these problems. Seeking the glory of the one above you causes you to receive the glory of the ones below you. Say that again, Pastor. Seeking the glory of the one above you causes you to receive the glory of the ones below you. Church being glory bearers who reflect the Lord's glory. This endeavor comes right back to our extraordinary, enormous, extreme, extravagant need for shalom in our daily lives as God has defined it. So before Pastor reads about this shalom, I want to make sure that you get this. Husbands, men in the room, seeking the glory of the one above you, seeking the Lord of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, His glory in your life. That will fix the problems of the glory that is not being reflected correctly with your life. That will fix the wife issues that you have in your own home. You see, you're, you're stooping down seeking the glory of your wife when you should be seeking the glory of your king. That's what true shalom looks like. Amen. Wives, wives in this room, seeking the glory of your children breaks this process completely. But seeking the glory of the one directly above you, seeking the glory of your husband, getting in line with his direction, doing everything that he says to the T, making sure that you're in shalom with him in your heart, that gives you the glory of your children. They look at your good deeds and they praise the Father in heaven and they praise you at the city gate. Turn with us to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to spend some time here in the next few minutes. 1 Corinthians eleven three. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. You understand this from a pictures that we've shown about a flow of shalom. But what Pastor just said is an important concept for us to get. It's going to help us to actually cause shalom in our homes. See, the top of the pyramid, the top of where all glory, of where all shalom starts is with God himself. He entrusted to Jesus. Jesus is then entrusting his authority, his dominion, and sharing his glory with man. Man then entrusts and shares his glory with woman. Woman with the children and overall mankind with the rest of the domination of all that God has put on the earth. See, what we're telling you today, church, is that glory starts at the top and it rolls downhill. When you are not working properly, you are out of the flow of glory. You become a bogus glory bearer instead of the type of glory bearer that God has designed for you to be. Now, let's take a look just a few verses later in verse 7. Jump down four verses with us. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Guys, three points from this passage right here. God himself actually gains glory through his work in man. His work in man, his workmanship in each man in here, God is gaining glory from what he is doing in each one of our lives. Man is gaining glory through his work in woman. Through this five-step process and what you are doing with your wives and families, man, that is a gaining of glory. And it flows right on downhill because woman gains glory through her work in her children. 
glory rolls downhill. So we're going to move to Philippians 2. But we want to say that being a glory bearer comes right back to shalom. To properly understand this, we need to look at the relationship at the very top. The one between God and his son. If we can examine the way that Jesus related to his head, God, then we will get a revelation about how God has ordained that we relate to the dominion that he has placed directly above each of us. This is Philippians 2, and we're going to start in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who does this leave out? No one. No one. Verse 6. Who being... Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus is in his very nature God. Yet he did not consider equality with God something that he needed to grasp. Other translations say that Jesus did not try to possess equality with God by force. He was not trying to make himself equal. Husbands in the room. Just like we learned in 1 Corinthians 11, man is the image and the glory of God. We have to take on, we must take the same attitude that Jesus had and not consider equality with God something that we should be taking into our own hands. See, you display your lack of understanding and implementation of this truth every time you act without consulting the God who declares his will to you. I would never try to grasp equality with God, except that we do it every single day. We do it every single day by not actually inquiring of him and getting our every direction from him. You have learned to put yourself in the place of God when you don't display the same attitude. Hey, wives, we're talking to you too. We just learned in 1 Corinthians 11 that man is the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. If you're applying this to how you relate to the dominion that God has placed directly above you, namely your husband, you cannot consider equality with your husband something to be grasped or something to be possessed by the force of your own desire and will. See, you display your lack of understanding and implementation of this truth every time you fail to consult your husband, who's supposed to be directing you not just not only in tasks, but in the actual direction that he has received from the father and is now giving to the rest of the family. Remember that Genesis 3 passage that your sagely pastors presented to you last week where the issue in a woman is that she will want to control the husband, this is the breakdown. This is the rebellious reality that has come as a result of sin. This is an important concept for us to get, church. This could not be any more applicable to this house, to this room, and to today than, in, than anything else that we could speak to you about. How did Jesus put himself in shalom with God? If the same attitude, when we see the picture of how Jesus responded to God, of how they were interacting with each other, is the same attitude and the same actions that we have. How did he actually put himself in shalom with God and ensure ensure that he was operating in the right order? The next verses give us a very clear picture. So we've just gone over how he 
what he did not do, what Jesus did not do. Before we get into verse 7, I want to make sure that you understand that we are examining this specific passage because how Jesus related to his direct authority here is a perfect model anywhere down the chain that you land. Anywhere down the chain you land, whether you're a wife looking to your husband, whether you are a child in a house looking toward your parents for direction, anywhere down the chain in Shalom that you go, verse 7 and beyond is going to teach you exactly what that looks like according to the testimony of Jesus Christ. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's look at he made himself nothing for a second. Jesus, in his very nature, was God, was God, but he chose to make himself nothing and give full dominion to his father. All of the dominion belong to his father. I do everything that my father tells me to do. Look at the second one. He took the very nature of a servant. Jesus looked at the father and said, not my will, but yours be done. Cultivate me, father. Do whatever it takes. Lord, I am going to take the nature of a servant to your word under your authority. Third, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus could have called down legions of angels to save him at any moment, any point in time along the story. But he put his life squarely in the hands of his direct authority to be his one and only savior in his life. He became obedient to death is number four. Jesus knew that it was only by being led into death by his father time and time and time again. The difficulties that were in his life being led straight into them, trusting him along the way. He knew that that process, he would learn obedience through what he suffered, just like the word says, and become the sage that his father, his direct authority, was already. And lastly, even death on a cross. Jesus brought the Father glory by completing the work that the Father had given him to do. And the Father, in turn, exalted Jesus as his glory bearer for all the world to see. It was this kind of genuine expression of real shalom in the life of Christ that caused him to be a glory bearer for his father. And God was delighted to share his glory with his son. Does that encourage your heart this morning? God is delighted to share his glory with the son. Verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. You see, it was not just Jesus who was glorified because of his right shalom with the Father. God the Father was also glorified in the actions of his Son. They worked together and they were glorified together. With that in mind, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11 to see this. 
Look with us in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. They have to do these things together. But everything comes from God. See, God's labor for us, his meticulous work to form us and shape us, is also his glory in us. Men, our labor in our wives, our meticulous work to form them and shape them is also our glory in them. Wives, your meticulous work to form and shape the children becomes your glory as well. See, church, there is a reciprocity, a mutual dependence, and a glorification that only comes together. Everybody say together. Together. This is so important that we want to help you get this in its full glory. Glory flows downhill. We have seen the perfect execution of glory flowing down when we look at Jesus and the Father. And Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it in this way. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Yeah. The takeaway is not just that we see Jesus in the Father, but we must have God's glory flow downhill into us, our family, and all under our dominion. The same attitude of supernatural shalom that is developing in us is for the purpose of banishing bogus glory-bearing ways in our own life so that we can be the exact representation of his being and the radiance of God's glory. Let's talk self-exaltation for a moment, and we're going to talk about it in my own life. This week, the audacity that I have had in moments of revelation... I'm talking about when God is speaking to me. I am in the word, and he's talking to me, showing me certain revelations, and I am looking back to him and saying, why are you showing this to me? Not in a glorious way. No, in a contentious way. Contentious way. Let's look at the other side of the coin for a moment. It's just as bad. This week, to question him when I am pursuing him, I am seeking him, and he does not show me what I think that I need according to my own expectations. Guys, that is me acting like the glory that I think that I have flows uphill to God. That is the wrong flow of glory. When I do that, when I question what God has given me, or when I say, God, why didn't you give me this instead, and I am questioning him, I am telling him, the glory that I think that I have, it flows back up to you, God, so you're going to have to answer what I'm asking you to do. That's not how God's glory works. That's not how shalom works. It doesn't work that way. You need to meditate on my experiences this week and see how they apply to you in this moment. I am done with independence, with bogus glory bearing. Look to your right, my left, this second sign. It says, I need my brothers, and my brothers need me. Several years ago, we had a men's reload. We went to Seguin, Texas. Yep. 
Pastor Matthew Piro shared one of the most life-giving revelations from the Word, and I just want to read it to you. It's Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I am done with lopsided loyalty with my brothers. What does that look like? It means my brothers need me and I am independent enough to not need them. This does not reflect God's glory. It is not how we are masculine men who are glory bearers. We need our brothers and our brothers need us. And there is a mutual relationship with each other as we both lock arms to reflect God's glory. Church, we are sharing with you from the things this week in our own lives that we have been dealing with, that the Lord has been revealing to us about ways that the pastors standing on the stage have been bogus and are glory-bearing. For me, it was a very specific example. Actually, Brother Marlon is involved in this. Brother Marlon was sharing something, and the counsel that came out of my mouth reverberated back and slapped me in my own face. Brother, you need some discipline in this area, but the reason you don't have discipline is that you don't have enough vision. Pow. Pow, pow. I realized that my own lack of self-control, my own lack of self-discipline is because I failed to seek for supernatural vision. I failed to get the glory of God and let it come downhill so that I can turn. I become afraid that I won't be able to hear from him. This is going on in my thoughts and I don't even recognize it. I'm not actually asking the Father to show me what to do. I'm just trying to decide because I need, I feel like I need to do something and I don't want to mess up and not be a guy doing something. So let me turn and my own glory is now rolling downhill. Proverbs 29, 18 says that where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. They lose self-control. They lose discipline. You know what I began to do immediately? Thank you, God, for showing this to me. Thank you for you not having to light my fields on fire. Lord, show me what you want me to do. Lord, teach me everything. There's not anything in my day that I can accomplish rightly. I need your vision. I need your glory in me. Then I know that I will be able to turn and help those who are under my care. Church, these are real engagements that your pastors have had with this exact information. You may remember the sermon entitled Husbandry. Yeah. That sermon was on May 15th. We're going to call that a month ago. A month ago, we had this sermon, and it first introduced to us as a church the five aspects of masculine holiness. That was one month ago that we began to think our way through this, that we began to develop this idea. Included in that message, message was the concept of inclusions. Everybody say inclusions. Inclusions. You remember what an inclusion is, don't you? Yeah. Inclusions are those areas of bogus glory-bearing that are not growing or progressing along with the rest of the fruitfulness in your life. As a matter of fact, it is the fruitfulness 
that's covering up these inclusions. It's actually just surrounding it and swallowing the inclusion. Church, what we're telling you is that we've been working with you for a month now to eliminate all of the false, fake, pseudo, shallow, and bogus inclusions that are in your life because they're in our lives. We know that these are here because we want each of us to be the right kind of glory bearers that are ever increasing in our reflection of the glory of God himself. Church, what we just did is shared inclusions from our own personal lives, shared the inclusion from my life about my ability to let all of you see glory, but when I'm interacting with the Father, it's an inclusion, because at times, I am looking at what he does or does not give me, and how it does or does not please the glory that I think is mine. Guys, this is corrected through the scripture. A man who knows where his dominion comes from knows how to trust his father for direction and correction. The inclusions themselves, they need to get out of here because they're just taking up valuable space that could be the glory of God in each one of our lives. This is how we prepare the way for generations coming after us. We're going to consider wisdom from John the baptizer. We're going to John chapter 3. We're going to verse 27 together. We're going to prepare to set our course to be an ever-increasing glory bearer. John 3, 27 says, To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Yeah, yeah. Praise God! You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's yeah. voice. Yeah. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. Verse 30, he must become greater. I must become less. So here John boldly proclaims that a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. He refused to act independently of his master, the bridegroom. Whether he was eating locusts, being persecuted, or waiting for his execution, he was full of joy just to hear his master's voice. He must become greater, church. We must become less. less. That's because his glory must roll downhill onto us. And then on to our children, onto our wives, onto our children. This is how glory flows downhill. Since you're in John chapter 3, go with us to John 3, and um, I'm sorry, John chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 22 together. John 17, 22 says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That sounds like glory rolling downhill. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Church, this entire process of dominion, 
cultivation, salvation, sages, and glory bears is showing the world the real glory of the Father and of the Son, and it's doing it through our lives. It's doing it as our lives are made ever more in an ever-increasing fashion to reflect His glory. Verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Praise God for that. In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. As this passage really highlights something to us. We got to come face to face with the parts of us that still do not know him. The inclusions in us that we are trying to protect, that we are trying to hide, that are taking up space that do not belong. We must destroy the inclusions that hate part of his character. And I've refused it all the way up until this day. So Jesus will be faithful to continue to reveal his glory to us. Verse 26 says that that only happens by Jesus manifesting himself inside of us. And it looks just like Philippians 2. Remember Philippians 2 as I read this to you. You must make yourself nothing like he did. That you would give full dominion to your father. You must take the very nature of a servant. That you should look at the one that you... that you're directly under and say, not my will, but your will be done. Cultivate me, whatever it takes. You must humble yourself that you would put your life squarely in the hands of the one responsible for you as your one and only Savior. You must be, become obedient to death. You will learn obedience through what you suffer and become a sage that your authority is. You must commit to whatever it takes to complete the work. You will glory in the process and you will become the glory of those who are exalting you through this process. You will be a glory bearer. Church, you are made to be a glory bearer. Say that with me. Say, I am made to be a glory bearer. I am made to be a glory bearer. See, when we're speaking to you about shalom, you have to understand that each link, each station, each position in the flow of shalom will have a particularly splendid glory coming down from the Father. The glory that a man bears will be the one that is birthed from the heavens and that is then reflected in his leadership to his wife and to the children and to the dominion of the earth underneath him in creation. The glory of a woman that a woman bears is seen in how well she reflects her husband's leadership and develops her children and the creation under her. The glory of children is seen in how they reflect their fathers, according to Proverbs 17, 6, how they submit to their mothers and how they take dominion over the creation under them. This is the process of us being fully manifest in the glory bearers that God has designed us to be. Now, we're coming to a close with you this evening, or this morning. But before we come to our closing passage, we would like to read a poem to you. A poem that we read multiple times over the past, the course of the past month or two, but truly encapsulates 
something that we want to land on with you together regarding glory bearers. I'm going to put that poem on the screen. This poem is called Comparisons by G.K. Chesterton. If I set the sun beside the moon, picture this with me. The sun beside the moon, and you're looking at both aspects. And if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. That's because God created all of it. And he destined for all of it to have specific glory. You see, we get involved in arguments. We get involved in contention. The fact is, is that our sinful nature always just wants to be something else other than what God has created us to be. I just want to be a husband. I just want to be somebody who doesn't have to have this authority on him. I just wish that I could go back to my childhood days. No, no, no. God in his infinite wisdom has ordained you to be exactly what he called you to be. Those thoughts, those arguments, those contentions are as silly as saying, oh yeah, well the sun is better than the moon. No, God created them both, and they both have glory, but it's glory that God ordained for them to have. The glory looks different, but they are both very, very glorious. Church, are you hearing what pastor's saying to you? In your contemplation, in, as you've been contemplating the glory of God and his divine splendor that he has ordained for you, have you been foolish in your own thoughts and in your own speech? Have you fallen prey to comparisons that's trying to make one form of glory better than another? Have you elevated one glory as better or more important than another instead of learning to become enthralled with each separate aspect of God's glory as it rolls downhill through his son to you husbands, then to you wives, and then to you young men and women in this room? We're going to end our time together in 1 Corinthians 15, 39. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly is another. So as the verse continues on, the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another and the stars another. The stars differ from star in their splendor. Church, what we're telling you today is that God is sovereign in the glory that he's chosen for you. It was his sovereign choice to make you who you are today. And it was his sovereign choice to bring that glory to its proper fullness. Husbands, you are like the sun and you have one kind of splendor. Wives, the moon has another kind of splendor, but it is glorious nonetheless because the one who it comes from is glorious. For you to say, I like the day better, or I like the night better, both are glorious. And that is what we are emphasizing here. If you're a single man or woman in this room, for the children in this room, 
See, even the stars have a kind of splendor. And star differs from star in that kind. Your status right now, look at me, single people. Your status right now is glorious. It is a gift from God himself. Choosing it to, guard, to regard it any other way is an abhorrent action towards the God who has given you glory to be able to participate in. Church, you are designed to be a glory bearer. And we want each of you to be able to function fully in this bearing of God's glory. So we're breaking rank for just a second. Have they given you some things to seriously chew on? We had a discussion this morning about how our closings really need to simply rest on the message. So I want to squeeze this into the message so that we can have a closing afterwards. Are y'all pretty convinced that as a community we're for each other? Are you pretty convinced that we love each other deeply? I'm going to pray with you and ask you to remember that that's what we talked about because there's an ancient evil that we're going to attack as, as a family. And I'm not going to spare any of you and I'm not going to spare myself because the Lord's helping us in his loving kindness. He's leading us to something better. Huh? Let's pray because I need help with this. Father, we ask that your spirit would be upon us now. Your pastors have delivered an extraordinary word. And my heart is moved by it because I know the condition of your flock. And it is good and it is ever improving. But there is still so much wickedness within. And we need your help so that we don't have a meaningless experience at this altar. Lord, we need your help. Would you move on us by your spirit of holiness now? Help us see what we don't see about ourselves. Help us rightly discern the areas that we're deceived in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I'm going to ask for your attention for just a second. It will not be a teaching. It is, uh, it's a prophetic direction based on what I'm hearing my brother say. I'm going to start with myself and see if we can ease into it. Uh, my number one trait on my Nabal card is that I'm insatiable. And uh, we can make that sound noble. And one of the ways that you can make it sound noble is that you just want the highest. You just want the best. You just, but that's it when it's consecrated. When the dominion of the Lord is showing you that you can go higher. Showing you that, and your goals are aligned with his. When insatiable is just Nabal and, and wicked, nothing is ever good enough. The Lord healed 5,000 people, but, you know, it really could have been 5,001. 14 people got spirit-filled, but he really, he, why did he use that person to do it and not this other person? I, I want to reread something that they said, or at least as my notes said it. Seeking the glory of the one above you is how you receive the glory of those beneath you. This is because you're reflecting the glory of the one above you and those beneath you see it. I want to be very honest with us as a, as a body. We need to dial in to John 7, 18. We, we have to. Um, John 7, 18, at least as I wrote it, and praise God it can be on a screen if I get a word wrong. 
The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Can we all say that nobody here wants to do that? That you're Christians and that your heart is fully set on not doing that? Never your glory. Only the Lord's glory. Only yours, the Lord. Just, just you. Can I tell you how you know that you are seeking your own glory? And, and I'm, I'm talking to you elders. <laughs> I'm talking to you pastors. I'm certainly talking to the sheep. And I'm speaking to my... How you know that you are in fact seeking your own glory? The one who... But the one who seeks the glory of him who, who sent him is true. And there is no falsehood. When you feel the need to leave out a detail of a story that you're sharing so that you get a predicted outcome, how could it be anything other than you were after your glory the whole time? Okay, well, that got some of you and not all of you. And I get that. How, how, how about this one? When God is blessing you on every side, but you're still discontent. When miracles are happening in your midst, when prophecies are being fulfilled, and you are still not ecstatically, overwhelmingly joyful. Let, let's just drive the stake to the heart of this. Do you know why that is? You're after your own glory. And it shows up because it's not meeting your expectations when God does it in his glorious way. Because that's never really what you were after. Yeah, we can just sit with that for a second. Okay. Now, I'm clearly talking to you. Uh, let me help you with the way that shows up for me. I think, and I'm deceived when I'm thinking this, it just could have been done better more excellently that's that's what i think is driving my heart but what is of course driving my heart actually is there's a way that i wanted this and it's not the way that god did it that brings shame on us not glory now so that that's not just overwhelming to you and i'm going to let it be overwhelming as well we're all making progress the I'm seeing husbands stand up and lead that have been leaders in the church but failed to lead their family for many years. I'm seeing it. But I'm also absolutely intent that we break some things that have tried to ruin whole family lines. Ladies, if your husband is happy all of the time and you are never happy, you're not reflecting him and that's not a glory bearer. You that are about to get married, there's nothing that's more important for you then you be an immovable rock and expect the same of her. Okay? This is really important. We cannot be Christians that are seeing maps change and families, but if the Lord heals, if you lost your nose and a miraculous surgery comes that somebody else pays for and you now have a completely restored nose, but, you know, I really, I'm disappointed that God had to use a doctor. You, you know what the Bible actually calls this? Selfish ambition. And where you find that, you find every evil practice. And some of the Christians that have been the Christians the longest don't recognize it in themselves. And it's a stench. I mean, it's, it's so horrific that it's suffocating. And you know who I hate it most? Me. 
if nothing is ever good enough, then you are not a glory bearer of God's glory. You're seeking your own glory. And that's why nothing is ever good enough. You're a city that has broken walls. And you, you lack self-control. Can I tell you a mate? When I say lack self-control, is there a brave lady that would just say out loud what comes to your mind when I say you don't have self-control? Mouth. Okay, that's a typical one. Mouth. We think of the person that talks when they shouldn't talk. Uh, we think of somebody who can't control their appetite. We think of a young man that can't control his lust or an old man that can't control his anger. Can, can I tell you the way a lack of self-control shows up in here the most? A perpetually sour and depressed person. That's, that's not self-control. That's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And you know what? We're forming relationships all over this room. We're, one of the most exciting things as a grandpa that I'm getting to see is marriage is birthing. And I see it before most of you do, and I get really excited about it. You know what is most dangerous to all of those marriages? A husband that doesn't walk through these five steps and expect his wife to bear the glory of God. It will ruin whole family lines. And in the sovereignty of God, we watch him put it back together after 30 or 40 years. But it is a serious threat to what we're doing. As simple as this sounds, gratefulness is everything. You'll never bear the glory of God without dripping in gratefulness. You could go all the way back to the Remember series and start with all the good things that he's done for you, and you'll start to grow in gratefulness. Uh, husbands, you cannot be weak in this area. Your wife needs you to be strong in this area, not accept anything less than the joy and glory of God on your spouse. Otherwise, you'll always be waiting to the day when you are happy. When this happens, I will be happy. When this happens, I will. But what I know from experience, and I, look, I want everybody in here to dial it. Make eye contact. I know you. I've been watching you for many years waiting to be happy. And no matter what God does, you still could not be described as happy. That's tough. That's something that, that's an inclusion. You can't prophesy enough. You can't sing enough. You can't preach enough to cover over that inclusion. It will rot the core of your family dynasty. The basis for everything is that we're grateful for what God is doing because we live in his dominion. We recognize that he's cultivating us and that if it's difficult, if we didn't understand, it's because he's developing us that he allows these things in our lives so that he can show us what he's still saving us from. See, that, that gets to be sagely wisdom. I'm, I'm going to open the altar here in just a second, but I, I got to tell you, some of you have such high callings, and there's almost no chance you'll get there if you don't make this kind of correction. Uh, we cannot be the glory of God and be described as flat, phlegmatic, or downright depressed and slip into manipulation anytime something's not going the way that we want. And depression is a kind of manipulation. It's no different than one of these little kids going, if you spank me, I'll kill myself. If we don't do what you want, you're sad all the time because you're seeking your own glory. 
okay, we have to fix that. Can we agree as a body that we're going to take that seriously? Okay. If you feel unfairly singled out, get over it. I'm talking to all of us. I've never spared anyone, and especially not myself. And our difficulties, we slip into this all the time. I wish we had done this, got this trailer, got that car, gone to this church. No, our path is ordained of God, and it's as glorious as we are grateful for it. Can you feel me on that? And if we are not grateful for every step in the journey, then there is no glory in it. A glory bearer is seeking the Father's glory in every one of your circumstances. And there is glory in every one of your circumstances. You just can't see it. They compared a false or bogus glory to Babylon. You know what the Bible compares real glory to? Go read Psalm 48 in your own time. It's when you can walk around a city, Jerusalem, or walk around a family, and just being around them shows you the glory of God. It's not because Jerusalem doesn't go through many sieges, trials, and troubles. It's because they see God's working as glorious. I love Deuteronomy 8, and I'm going to take a different stint on it. Every verse of Deuteronomy 8, say five verses, relates to five things. They, they did this, but I want to make it even clearer for you. Verse 1, what is it going to relate to? Dominion. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. When we live in his dominion, he shows us where our dominion is. Okay, that's how this works. But what was the, prom the problem that they got to when they got to the promised land? They didn't like it. And it wasn't because it wasn't good. They were unhappy with the trials that they were going to face going into it. What if they'd been grateful? What if they saw it as glorious? What if they saw every trial in it as glory for the Father? And with smiles on their faces, went and extended dominion. We'd have skipped 40 years of torture. Okay. Verse 2, what's it going to relate to? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. Even in their mistakes. Even in their grumbling. Even in poisoned waters. Yes, he led them all the way in the desert these 40 years. Why? To humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Cultivation is constant hardship and difficulty that, that show you whether you're centered on what God has actually said to you or not. You know what I'm telling you right now? Is some of you that are esteemed as mountains of righteousness actually have so much cultivation to do in these such basic areas and your family lines depend on it. What is verse 3 going to relate to? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you. Do you mean that the Lord in his sovereignty can be the source of your discomfort, the source of your problem, and the solution, and he calls that saving? It was God's will to crush his son. It was also God's will to raise him. But you don't get the raising without the crushing. 
Church, God put you in difficult seasons so that you could see whether you would keep his commands. He put you in difficult positions so that you could learn to hunger for the right thing. If you find selfish ambition in your life, if you find things that you're craving that you should not crave, he's doing that so he can save you from the wickedness inside of you, not condemn you. You want to be encouraged, but you cannot be encouraged out of this. You have to excise it from your life. That doesn't happen without you actually asking for that. That's what this altar is actually for. What is verse 4 going to relate to? Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during the 40 years. Sages know from the seasons that they went through, the process that they experienced, and can now testify with truthful experience about the glory even in the desert. When you think about the desert, does that sound like a wonderful time? But they experienced miraculous, sustaining, saving power that made them sages through seasons so that they could tell the next generation, you follow the Lord, this is going to be okay. It may look bad now, but the problem's your perspective. The problem's not these circumstances. There's glory in this. See, that's what sages do. You can't do that if you're a sourpuss. What's number five going to relate to? This is a slight departure from the notes, but I just want you to see it. Know then. See, sages in step four, they know something. So based on step four, know then. They know it because they've experienced it. In your heart that as a man disciplines his son. Somebody say discipline. How could this be glory bearing? That as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you? Because Hebrews 1.3 says it. A son is the radiance of his father's glory. See, all five are there in five verses. I love that y'all brought that out. I want to spend some time focusing at this altar. If you're taking away from this, Eric just wants you to be more happy. You are really missing the whole iceberg for, for the little bit that you're able to grasp. You cannot carry and perpetuate the glory of God while you're seeking your own glory. And if you're not happy with your life right now, it's because you're seeking your glory. So I am happy. It's just that's inclusion. Even your temptation to wrap your arms into this position is inclusion. You're hiding your heart from you. If you're anything other than ecstatic with what God is doing in your family and your life right now, you have a selfish ambition problem and you are seeking. If you've thought to yourself, I don't know why those disciples are getting all that attention. How can you be bearing the glory of God? See, I could do this all day long and I'm quoting you and you know that. And it's not because I'm mad at you. It's because based on the prophecies and what these pastors taught today, I believe God is bringing us to a place where we can finally fix it. And one of the most exciting things about the gospel is you can be away for 38 years, and then in a moment, Jesus can change it. I, I love that. Examine your hearts. We're about to stand to our feet and ask yourself, can I really be a glory, glory bearer based on my current level of gratefulness for my spouse? 
gratefulness for my children, gratefulness for God's working in my life right now. And if you don't have room to improve that, I would say something's really wrong with you. Uh, I would say that you're more deceived than I'm insinuating that you're deceived. Okay? I'm doing this now as awkward as it is, as long as the message is, as much as I run the risk of hurting pastor's feelings, standing up. I'm doing this now because I'm fighting for your future. The number one trait of the people that I've watched fall away, number one, is they're not happy with what God has done in their life. They say they are, but they express that they're not at the same time. Salt and fresh, fresh water. We're going to have to deal with that. Okay, If you're married to somebody in this room, God designed that. You need to be very grateful for it. Not, not just say you're grateful for it. You have to adjust your heart so that you are no longer comparing things with other marriages and other people, and you only want to live in the dominion, cultivation, saving, and sagely wisdom of our God. That's how you'll bear his glory. If you're in here and you're thinking about your children, that you dislike something, and why did God give a soft-hearted person such a strong-willed child, you, you need to fix that. If you're thinking that about this church, well, I know that these things happen, but I wished it had been like this. Stop it. We are a gift from God to each other. This building, this community, this people was established by God for what we're doing right now. We have no shackles from Rome or Springfield, Missouri, so that we can do what we're doing right now. It's not an air personality thing. God wants to fix his house. He loves you and he led you in here so that he can deliver you into what he wants you to be. But that didn't happen in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2010. It's still happening. And we have serious, serious work to do in this area. Examine your heart for areas of ungratefulness and you will find areas you were seeking glory that was not God's. Will you stand to your feet?